Welcome to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and today's show will give you some aging insights to live longer and more joyfully. You know, sometimes life isn't so joyful, and we've all had moments of frustration when we can't remember someone's name or where we put the car keys. If this happens to you in your 25, you shrug it off as a temporary lapse of memory. If you're over age 60, like so many in our Not Old Better Show audience, you likely label it as a senior moment and start to question your cognitive abilities. According to our guest today, Yale professor Dr. Becca Levy and author of the new book, Breaking the Age Code, How Your Age Beliefs Determine How Long and Well You Live, labeling this a senior moment is an example of an ageist belief. Dr. Levy tells us today these moments of forgetfulness can happen at any age. Sometimes memory simply short circuits and it happens to everyone. People's beliefs about aging have a profound impact on their health, influencing everything from their memory and sensory perceptions to how well they walk, how fully they recover from disabling illness, and how long they live, including where they live. And interestingly enough, living in Japan of all places has some real aging and longevity benefits. Halfway through graduate school, I was lucky to win a National Science Foundation fellowship to live in Japan for a semester. My goal was to investigate how people aged and thought differently about aging in Japan. I knew that Japanese people had the longest lifespans in the world. Although many researchers chalked this up to a healthy diet or genetic differences, I wondered if there might also be a psychological dimension that gave them an advantage. Before uprooting myself to Japan for six months, I visited my grandma Horty in Florida. As soon as I stepped off the plane, she took one look at me and said, you need vitamins. She was convinced that graduate school and the dreary Boston weather had run me down. So off we went to buy her version of vitamins, all the oranges and grapefruits that we could carry out of the grocery store. Grandma Horty was a competitive golfer and as a former New Yorker and avid walker, so it was no small feat to keep up with her as she walked with purposeful strides through the store until she tumbled to the floor. Rushing over, I helped her up and was horrified to spot a bloody gash in her leg. Doesn't hurt, she reassured me between clamped teeth. She even forced a smile, ever the stoic. You should see the other guy, she joked. The other guy was down at our feet, a wooden crate with reinforced corners of sharp, jagged metal. One corner was now dripping blood. We left our baskets and I helped my grandmother gather up the contents of her handbag, which had scattered across the floor. On the way out, she confronted the owner who glanced up for a second when he heard her fall before returning to the tabloid he'd been leafing through at the counter. You shouldn't leave crates in the middle of your store, my grandmother told him, much more politely than he deserved. I could have hurt myself. Blood was dripping down her calf. The owner looked her over and then peered at the crate in the middle of the aisle. Well, maybe you shouldn't be walking around, he said icily. It's not my fault old people fall down all the time, so don't go around blaming me. Hordy's job practically dropped to the floor as for me, I felt like swiping his tabloid off the counter, but I just glared at him and ushered my grandmother into the car. Over Horty's objections, I took her straight to the doctor. Her leg turned out to be fine, a dramatic looking but superficial cut, the doctor said. He added that she seemed in fact quite healthy. 
I thought that would be the end of it, but some profound change had taken place that afternoon. That night, Horty asked me to water her avocado tree, which she normally loved doing herself. The following day, she told me she didn't trust herself to drive and asked me to take her to her hair appointment. She seemed to be reliving the grocery grocery owner's words and questioning her competency as an older person in a way she had never had before. Fortunately, by the time I flew to Japan, Horty had pulled out of her ageism-induced funk. The morning before my departure, she insisted on taking me for a brisk long walk to stretch my legs before the long plane ride. When we returned, she handed me a handwritten list of restaurant recommendations from a visit to Japan with my grandfather two decades earlier. But as I waved goodbye to Horty and headed off to Tokyo, I couldn't help but wonder if a few negative words could affect someone as strong and spunky as Horty, what were negative age stereotypes doing to us as a country? What power did they have to actually change the way we age? And what power could we have if we changed the way we thought and talked about aging? That, of course, is our guest today, Dr. Becca Levy, reading from her new book, Breaking the Age Code. We're talking aging today with Dr. Becca Levy and know right out of the gate that age, according to our audience and Dr. Levy, is not seen as a negative experience characterized by terms such as decrepit, incompetent, dependent, and senile. Oh no. Join us today to learn about when our views are positive, we are more likely to be active and resilient and to have a stronger will to live joyfully. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast, Dr. Becca Levy. Dr. Becca Levy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to join you. It is great to talk to you too. Um, I hope uh, everybody is well in in your world and all of yours have survived our isolation, the pandemic, and are um, doing well. But my best to everybody. Thank you. Yes, and to you and your family too. Well, thank you so much. You've written this wonderful new book, and I want to get into it, the title of which is Breaking the Age Code, How Your Beliefs About Aging Determine How Long and Well You Live. I just love the book. I want to really encourage my audience to check this out. It's just got some great insights. Let's just start right at the beginning. I think it's timely for my audience, but what led you to write the book, especially at this time, and, and, and why? Yes, I thought it was an important book to write now because I think we are having a public health crisis around ageism in our country. We know that about 68% of Americans report experiencing ageism in everyday life. And uh, it's actually, I think, gotten worse during the pandemic. So, for example, you may have heard the meme that uh, was quite popular calling COVID the boomer remover, which actually makes fun of older people dying of COVID, which is pretty terrible. So there's a lot of negative messaging about aging. At the same time, I have critical findings that have been coming out of my research lab. So we know that these age messages can impact health. Uh, And we also know that there's something that we can do about it. So we know that there's now, we have quite a bit of research that shows that we can actually reverse some of the negative messaging And ideally, this would happen on a societal level, but until that does, there are things that we can do on an individual level to navigate some of the negative messages and promote positive age beliefs that can have Mm -hmm. benefits to our health. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And, and again, thank you for reading uh, from the book too, because but it, it is wonderful. And you, you talk a little bit about your grandmother, Horty, and and some of the perceptions of Horty that, you know, for example, falling down, that, that that was just assumed that older people did that all the time. Yet, Horty had this list of restaurants that she offered to you. And, and I thought that was a great sign of you know, kind of the opposite, that here's a misconception about aging and memory, yet here Horty is, you know, recognizing that and offering that up to you. What what are some of the other common misconceptions that we have about getting older? Right. So that's a good question. So one of the things I enjoyed doing in writing the book was I came up with perhaps the 14 most common negative beliefs about aging. And then I researched each of them and came up with the evidence, which showed that each of them is incorrect, that there's actually reasons that each of the negative age beliefs are, are, um, are myths. And also when I was doing the research, I often found that there was strengths of older people. So it was actually the reverse. And so I actually called that section um, the ammunition to overcome these negative age stereotypes. Because um, if you know the science, it's, you can realize not only that, that they're false, but that there's something that you can bring to the table and say, hey, that's that's just not right. You know, the research actually says something else. So just for example, um, perhaps one of the most common negative age beliefs is that all types of cognition decline in all older people. And we know that that's just not true from the science. There's many different types of memory. So there's some that stay the same, like procedural memory, um, which is would be something like remembering how to ride a bike. There's other types of cognition that seem to improve in later life. So, for example, there's there's studies that show that uh, the ability to think about thinking or metacognition seems to get better with later um, years. Also, the ability to solve conflicts. There's research that shows that that improves in later life. So, there's definitely a range of of types of cognition. And also, some of the ones that people think um, the science suggests or some of the research suggests does decline in later life, we have found that we can improve with interventions that strengthen positive age beliefs. So there's this whole range of um, of memory qualities. And in addition, there are people who really show wonderful memory in later life. So uh, for example, one of the things I really enjoyed in writing the book was to interview a range of people. And I was able to interview a man who is 84, who took on the memory task of trying to memorize a 60,000 word poem. And he, he um, memorized it and then performed it in his community over a couple of days. And something that was striking to me in interviewing him uh, was that to actually accomplish this wonderful memory task, what he did was he thought of his own positive age belief. So he thought of this cellist, Pablo Casals, who played beautiful cello music, you know, in his 80s and 90s. So he was had this inspiring performer in his mind, somebody who showed these remarkable creative feats in later life. And so that inspired and motivated him to actually take on and accomplish this great memory task. You're credited with creating this field of study that, that focuses on how positive and negative age stereotypes impact us and and you refer to this as as age beliefs and and so i wondered if you'd give us a little bit more definition about age beliefs what they are and and how important they really are as a factor of aging yes so um the way that i think about age beliefs are there are images of aging and we know children as young as age three have already 
taken in a lot of those images of aging from their culture. And depending on the culture, the type, the range of age beliefs that we tend to be exposed to differ in the ratio of, sort of more positive ones to more negative ones. Uh, and depending on the research study, we measure age beliefs in different kinds of ways. So in our longitudinal studies in which we follow people in the community over time, we have surveys that get at how people think about aging in different kinds of ways. I also have an open-ended question that I've used in a number of studies, and I just ask people, you know, when you think of an old person, what are the first five words or phrases that come to mind? And I found that that is a way to immediately have people uh, think about an image. So listeners may want to try that at home. And we found that that's actually a nice way to increase your awareness of, of your own you know, immediate age beliefs that, that you are holding now. Mm-hmm. And so how do these age beliefs influence health and mental health? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so actually, that's a good question. So I think it can happen on a number of different levels. So we have research that suggests that the mechanism by which these age beliefs can you know, get under our skin from the culture can happen on a psychological level, on a behavioral level, and a physical level. So, for example, if somebody um, has, a, has taken in a more positive age belief, they're more likely to have psychological advantages, such as having a greater sense of mastery and that in self-efficacy, which might encourage them to take on, you know, different kinds of health, um, healthy uh, engagements. Um, the behavioral level, it would be if somebody takes in more positive age beliefs, they were, are likely to engage in more positive health behaviors, such as better eating, more exercise, or more likely to take prescribed medications. And then the third way that they can kind of get under our skin is if somebody has taken in more positive age beliefs, they tend to show advantages in some physiological biomarkers. So for example, some stress biomarkers. So we've found that those who take in more positive age beliefs tend to have lower levels of cortisol, which is a, a prominent stress biomarker. And, and so each of those mechanisms in turn, we have found can then lead to different kinds of health outcomes. We are with Dr. Becca Levy. Dr. Levy has written the new book, Breaking the Age Code, how your beliefs about aging determine how long and well you live. Dr. Levy is a professor of public health at the Yale School of Public Health, and Dr. Levy's research explores psychosocial factors that influence older individuals as well as their longevity, all of which is just of real importance and interest to our Not Old Better Show audience. Dr. Levy, you... We're so generous again in, in reading to us from your book, and uh, you mentioned Japan. Uh, I wonder if you'll tell us a little bit more about the culture of Japan and um, you know where these positive age beliefs just just thrive. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, in the passage that I read, I talked about um, one of the ways that I became interested in the topic by observing this ageist, um, unfortunate thing that happened to my grandmother. But, uh, but right after that visit with my grandmother, I uh, flew to Japan. So I, I mentioned that at the, at the start of that passage. And I uh, went there during graduate school. I had a fellowship that allowed me to observe the culture. And my goal was to try to understand why they had the longest lifespan in the world. And what I immediately noticed when I arrived is how differently it seemed like people are tre- uh, older people are treated in Japan. So unlike the ageism that I had observed in the United States, in Japan, 
integrated into society and they were treated with uh, much more respect and celebrated in a number of different ways. For example, I noticed that they were selling comic books and also on television. I saw examples of centenarians and super centenarians, people who are 110 and older, being treated like rock stars and in, like celebrities on these reality shows. Um, and, and they also, as you probably know, have a national holiday which recognizes and celebrates older people. So there are all these examples of, of older people being treated in, you know, in a very different beneficial way. And I became really interested in, you know, is it possible that how they're treated may actually be associated and one of the reasons why they had this longest lifespan. So that sort of sparked the series of studies that I describe in the book, Breaking the Age Code, of you know, actually trying to see, is it actually the case that these cultural beliefs can impact aging health? And with all these different studies, we were able to show that there's quite a bit of evidence that that's the case. We're all using social media today, or, or many of us are, and, and we're all impacted by it, certainly. There's a lot of negative age beliefs that are on social media, and I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about how social media has impacted these these age beliefs and how we can how we can work to kind of change some of that online. Right. So, actually, when I, I became interested in this topic when my own daughters pointed out to me some examples of really negative messaging about aging on on their social media platforms, and I became really interested in whether that was a uh, phenomenon that that you know existed across different forms of social media and around aging messaging, and so I worked with a team of of people to look at. Uh, we looked at Facebook and we looked at all um, publicly accessible groups that focused on older people. And unfortunately, we found that the majority of them uh, did have negative messaging about aging, promoted some negative beliefs about aging. And we also found that 37% of them actually ba- uh, advocated banning older people from participating in public activities like shopping and swimming. So yeah, really kind of disturbing findings. And we reported on some of the particularly um, terrible ones to the fa- to Facebook. And unfortunately, a year later, they were still up. So there are these. Um, and then we also know from a number of different investigations that there's digital discrimination that occurs um, around housing, around job job offers not being shown to older people. So there's ways of not um, offering opportunities for people because of their age, because they're older. Uh, so, so a number of platforms have actually been sued for doing this. So there's a number of trends that are you know, really unsettling. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, I would say that social media could be a place where we could actually, um, it could be a place where we're actually building ties across the generations and finding ways to reduce ageism. So I, I think it's a, a place that we can bring about positive social change and you know, hopefully that will happen. You, you've been so generous to read to us and, and I want to just read this to you. It's from Adam Grant, the New York Times bestselling author. Dr. Grant says, this book will shatter some of your basic assumptions about aging and how we can lead longer, healthier, and happier lives. Uh, Adam Grant's written that about your book, Breaking the Age Code. I think one of the things that makes me happy, I know from all of our audience, is spending time with family. This is certainly a, very much a family show, and it's nice to hear you talk a little bit about your your own daughter and your grandmother. 
I think these intergenerational activities are really wonderful for us. In the book, you offer this as a, as a range of solutions. So maybe tell us about the role of intergenerational activities and, and age beliefs. So intergenerational activities, I think, are really important to promoting positive age beliefs. And I think, you know, unfortunately, in our country, we've gone from being one of the most age-integrated countries in the world to one of the most age segregated countries in the world. So I, I think there's, unfortunately, there's, uh, there's a separation of the generations in, in many different kinds of ways in many places. Um, on the other hand, you know, we know that intergenerational meaningful interactions is probably the, you know, one of the best ways to promote positive age beliefs and to, you know, strengthen positive age beliefs and to overcome some of the negative beliefs, because I think if we don't have, if younger people don't have, don't have an opportunity to get to know older people, you know, on an everyday basis, it's hard for them to um, have the direct knowledge that can counter some of the negative messaging that they can get from social media and from Hollywood and different sources and some of the, the anti-aging industry advertisements, for example. So, um, so I think that, so in the book, I present a blueprint for overcoming structural ageism. And one of the ways that, uh, that I present is some ideas of how to increase the intergenerational contact through housing, through public spaces, through meaningful activities, you know, and actually I think even on an individual level, it's a good thing to take a take stock at how many you know, intergenerational um, opportunities one has in one life, you know, how often you have a chance to interact with people of different generations. So one of the things I suggest is that, you know, just write down your, your five closest friends and then just, you know, write down their age. And so I know when I did this for myself, I found that you know, the people that I wrote down were all within a couple of years of my own age. You know, that was kind of a wake-up call to, to me to think about how I could, you know, add more people to that list who were of different generations. And, you know, I think there's a lot of meaningful activities that we can get involved in, you know, whether it be joining a, a book club or a yoga class. It could be online or in person. You know, uh, I think finding meaningful activities that unite people around those activities can be a great way to strengthen some of those intergenerational ties. Another thing you talk about is creating a portfolio of positive role models. And you mentioned Rosa Parks and Steve Martin and Sylvia Plath, among among many others. Tell us about the positive role models and uh, what you mean by that. Right. So I'm glad you brought that up. So in the book, I presented, um, so I, I present the, this blueprint I mentioned about trying to overcome structural ageism. So that, that I think is important, but I think also until we do that, it's really good to think about individual level um, things that we can do on a you know, day-to-day basis that um, until we overcome the, the, some of the ageism that exists in society. And so, yeah, one of the things I'm glad you mentioned is this portfolio of diverse positive images. So I think um, that is something that I've I've worked on with with different people and myself. And so what it involves is to you know, write down, say, five older people who you admire. And ideally, some of them are from your own personal life and some of them are from the world at large, you know, through current events or literature or, um, you know, different people that you've read about. 
And so they could, after you write them down, try to think about a quality in each one that you admire and that you'd like to strengthen in yourself. And ideally, you know, the people will be very diverse and the things that you admire about them will be very diverse. So one person you may select that you, you know, particularly admire them because of their sense of humor and how they you know, tell stories. Another person you may admire because of their work ethic or their you know, sense of social justice. So there could be very, very different qualities. Um, for each person that you want to strengthen in yourself. Please tell us a little bit about this idea of mental stimulation as we age and what it means to aging brains and being engaged in things like horty with, you know, gardening and avocado trees. Yes. So that is something that I write about in Breaking Age Code is how being actively involved in a sense of purpose seems to be one of the mechanisms by which positive age beliefs can impact health span and lifespan. And the um, being positively engaged or you know generating a sense of purpose can happen in many different ways. And I, I think the key is to find an activity, a sense of purpose that really resonates with the individual. So for one person, that might be writing poetry. Another person, it may be working in the garden. For another person, it might involve volunteering at an animal shelter. Uh, so it can be it can be very different kinds of things. And actually, you know, in in, in, uh, in writing the the book, one of my favorite chapters to write was a book on creativity. And I I really enjoyed uh, finding out about and interviewing older people who engaged in many different creative activities. And it was it was a nice chapter to write because there's a lot of one of the you know negative messages, negative stereotypes about aging is that rigidity increases and creativity declines in later life. And, you know, this couldn't be, um, I mean, there's so many examples of older people showing creativity in later life and really growing, you know, with creative acts. Um, And we see that in performing arts and visual arts. And, you know, just um, one of the people I interviewed was a woman who creates mazes outdoors, these labyrinths that she just, you know, they just, in a later life, she just realized that kind of gave her a sense of peace and sort of centered her. And she, she creates these beautiful um, outdoor walking paths that people of different generations come and enjoy. And she loves the idea also that, um, that they're temporary, which I thought was a really interesting idea that she, she liked that she was creating something beautiful that people could really enjoy in the moment and you know it wasn't going to last forever but it was here now and a, a place and a time that people could come together of different generations and be active and engage in this outdoor creative space so i thought that was a really nice example yeah not to, not to personalize this too much but but about the subject of creativity my wife owns a ballet studio and one of her most popular classes now is the adult ballet class where many of the students are over age 60 and, and they just love um, the creative options that they get both in class and that they're just so eager to now perform in some of these ballets. They just It's a completely new, uh, you know, kind of act for them, you know, and an opportunity. That's great. Uh, yeah, that's great that your wife does that. And I actually, I also love ballet and love dance and um, mm-hmm. that's actually one of the places mm-hmm. that I really enjoy interacting with people in different generations. And um, yeah, so in the, in the in the book, I was able to inter- interview a dancer, Liz Lerman, who's a choreographer. And it was just, um, yeah, very eye-opening to hear her stories of how she brings together dancers of different, different ages. And actually one of the things that she mentioned, which I love, was she said that 
she thought there was a particularly strong bond between you know, young adults in their 20s, say, and older adults in their 60s or 70s. Um, and she said that one of the things she noticed was that there are sort of both these different age groups are going through these ex- interesting, exciting transitions in their lives. But also she talked about how the younger people were often like looking for social ties and places, to, sources of love. And then the older people are often looking for places to give their love. And so there was this, <laughs> this great connection of, um, of people who yeah, had this common idea of transitions and then also, you know, wanted to form these, these strong social ties. Well, Dr. Becca Levy, it's just been a pleasure talking to you. You you really are a pioneer on the impact of these these age beliefs on on our health and longevity. I just have one final question for you. What advice do you have for our audience to to challenge some of these negative age beliefs and improve our health? Well, I think we know from the research that these age beliefs can operate without awareness. They can operate implicitly. So I think a key is to just increase our awareness of our own age beliefs, but also the messages that we receive and the messages that we're exposed to. And I think just something that, you know, is, is a good thing for everyone to do is if you hear a negative message, just question it and think about, could there be a different portrayal of an older person? Is there a a strong older person that I can replace this negative message with, you know, in, in, in what I'm hearing about. So I think the idea of actively curating and questioning some of the negative messages. And then also, as we talked about looking out for positive role models, positive people in your own life, positive um, examples of older people in, that are out there in in science and in current events and really um, being active in that process, I think, can have real benefits. Dr. Becca Levy has been our guest today, author of the new book, Breaking the Age Code, How Your Beliefs About Aging Determine How Long and Well You Live. Again, a pleasure talking to you, Dr. Levy. Your work is fantastic. Congratulations on the book. Congratulations on all you're doing. My best to you and your family. And please come back and join us as you learn more about this subject and want to share this, we'd love for this to be the place that you do it. I know our audience is going to respond to to this. And again, I want to encourage them to check out your new book, Breaking the Age Code But Dr. Becca Levy. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to talk with you. So thank you for taking the time. My thanks today to Dr. Becca Levy for her generous reading, her expertise in research, and her new book, Breaking the Age Code. We'll have links in the show notes to Dr. Levy and her new book. Please check it out at notold-better.com for all of our archives, resources, and more information. My thanks to you, our wonderful audience of the Not Old Better Show. Please be well, be safe. Let's have those positive age beliefs, as Dr. Levy suggests, and let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. I am already looking forward to our next show. Have a great week, and thanks, everybody.